Insight Community of Faith. I'm so excited about this new series. Mark and I are going to be sharing with you over the next eight weeks about how to have real success. You know, there's something deep inside of every one of us that wants to be successful. And that didn't come from just our American culture. That was something that God put into us. In fact, did you know that God wants us to have ambition? Paul said he was very ambitious. The problem is there are so many definitions going around today about what real success is. And if we don't understand what it is, we're not going to be able to find it. So it just seems like everyone has a different definition of success. If you don't figure out what it is, you don't know where to go. You see, your definition of success is going to direct your steps. It's going to move your life. And it's going to be what you look back at at the end of your life and try to determine if you had real success or not. The outcome of your life will be determined by what you feel like success is. I think when it comes to success in this life, there are two dangerous traps, two of them, that we can fall into. One of them is we can go without any direction. That's the many, maybe the most of the people in this, in this world. They've never sat down to analyze exactly where they're going, exactly what success looks like. We just live our lives day by day, kind of moving through our life and never even thinking about what success really is. The problem with that is when hard times come, when tragedy strikes, we don't have any staying power because we have no vision to carry us forward through that into the future. But there's a second trap, and that's going in the wrong direction. And as a pastor, I've talked to literally hundreds of people over all the span of my ministry who are older and they'll come to me and, and we'll be sitting in a counseling session or talking about something over coffee and they say, you know, I've been hugely successful. I've given everything. I've given my whole life, my time, I've sacrificed, I've given my relationships for this success, but it just feels empty. I've realized that my definition of success was wrong. There's nothing sadder than to spend your one and only life for a definition of success and find at the end of it that it's not the right definition to come up empty. That's why this series, Real Success, is so important because we're gonna discover together over these next few weeks not only what true success is, but step by step, how to get there. I love that we have Marco Monroy now on our teaching team too, and he has taught so many uh, leadership seminars and success seminars, but through all of that, he has distilled down some of the, the things that are really what helps you move moment by moment, step by step, and he and I both will be going through those together. So today's the introduction and that's the question, what does it mean to have real success? Because here's the thing, if God gave us this ambition, 
and this desire for success, doesn't it just make sense to go to him as the source for what true success really looks like? What it means to be successful. So let's see if we can figure it out. I think one way to determine what true success is, is to look at what it's not. And sometimes when you look at the other side of things, it helps you to see more clearly what it really is. So here are some misconceptions about success. They're in your notes. You might want to look at that. You can look on your phone. You can uh, get on our app. You can find that. Number one, success is not measured by my appearance. It's not measured by my appearance. No matter what our culture tries to sell us or to tell us, success is not measured by how I look. Now, I'm telling you, I know that that's a a big push. I mean, that's the reason why you and I, we go out and we buy branded products and you know right and and instead of just a regular old t-shirt we got to have the right t-shirt and that's going to cost us a few times more than the the regular one but we've got to you know look right got to wear the right suit have the right bag don't want anyone to say oh your bag is so last season right got to have the right tennis shoes I don't ever have the right tennis shoes you know uh there's a there's a a Online, there's a, like a YouTube channel and an Instagram channel that's called Preachers in Sneakers. And they look at all the preachers of large churches across the United States. You're gonna go home and you're probably looking down your phone right now. And, and they analyze how expensive their shoes are, you know? And, and some of these, the, some of the coolest preachers, I mean, they have like these two or $3,000 tennis shoes on, you know, and it's just, I mean, they just look cool. I, I I don't look cool in anything, so I gave up a long time ago. I don't think ASICs from the outlet over there really are gonna make the list, but you know, it, it, it's so interesting how we're, we always are trying to look exactly right. You don't believe me, just think about this. Why is all the writing that when I was growing up used to be on the inside of the back collar, now it's on the outside? So you can see who it is, right? Like I, I was wearing Lululemon and, and, and Lululemon shirts. You know, they have the little logo on the outside. I wore it inside out for like three weeks. I didn't know. Until so, you know, oh, that's a Lululemon. One of the funniest times that I wore Lululemon is like, I didn't realize they had writing at the bottom. You know, have you seen some of those shirts? And, and so anyway, I was up preaching and talking and everybody kept going like this. I saw them going like this. And, and that's not always, that's not good because you don't really know what's going on, but you know something weird is going on because the whole crowd, and I realized my Lululemon had flipped up and it said, let's get dirty. <laughs> so I don't really know what message I got across that week. But you know, it, our society says image is, is what matters. It really doesn't even matter if you're successful as long as you appear to be successful. And it's an age old problem. We see it all the way back in the Old Testament. The people of Israel were begging God for a king because they wanted to be cool like the rest of the nations. God had given them judges and he said, I'll be your king. But they said, no, we want a real king that looks cool and you know has the big crown and, and, and all this kind of stuff. So they made Saul their king and he was a terrible king. And God said, if you're gonna have a king, let me pick your king out for you, okay? 
And so he told the prophet Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to go to this man named Jesse. And he has some sons. And one of his sons is going to be the next king. And so we, we see this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. The sons start to pass before him. And Eliab, the oldest, man, he looks like a king. He is a good-looking supermodel kind of guy. And he's tall and handsome and muscular. And so Samuel, in his mind, it says, he said, this is the king. But listen to what God says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And it ended up that God had chosen little David. He was still just a little kid. And he was out keeping the sheep and they had to bring him all the way in because all of the sons passed before him. None of them were the king. Such a, such a cool thing. Remember that, ladies, you know, like when you're on Tinder, don't judge by height, okay? And guys, quit lying about your height. I don't know how that's gonna work out, you know? I mean, they're gonna meet you, right? So if you, you you're, say you're five inches taller, I mean, what are you gonna do? Kind of like, kind of move around like that so she can't really get a good gauge on it, you know? And it's funny because I saw something the other day that said only like three or 4% of American men are over six foot, but everybody's looking for six foot two, you know? So ladies, you've already knocked it way down, right? So, so give, the, give all the guys a break. It's not about appearance. Also, success is not measured by what I possess. A lot of times people equate economic prosperity to real success. But the reality is you can have a lot of wealth. You can have a lot of things that the world says, this is what matters, and still come up empty. If you studied leadership in the late 1990s, early 2000s, the number one name usually that came up was Jack Welch. He was the CEO, chairman of, of General Electric. And he had taken General Electric to the heights. It had become the, the, the number one, the most valuable company in the history of America at that time. And so everyone was studying his leadership techniques. But did you know in those same three decades that he took General Electric to the heights, he destroyed three marriages. He destroyed his relationship with his kids. And he ended up old and alone. And yet we're still trying to, we're holding him up as like the icon of what it means to be Successful, is that really successful? Look what Jesus says in Luke 12, 15. Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. See, I think we equate money with peace and safety. But when personal tragedy strikes, when relational tragedy strikes or, or some health issue hits us, we find that's not true at all. It's not true. We put our trust in something that can't hold. We put our trust in something that doesn't bring peace. In fact, 
Jesus said this in one of the most impactful verses, one of the most impactful things I think he ever said. He said in Mark 8, 36, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Queen Elizabeth I, the very first Queen Elizabeth, the one that, you know, way back in the Victorian age that, that I mean, back when queens had power, I could say off with your head and you were, you know, topless, right? So that, she was powerful. She had maybe one of the rich, she was probably the richest woman maybe of her day. And as she lay on her deathbed, she said this, all my possessions for a moment of time. Another thing that success is not measured by is my fame. That's a big one today, right? We've got to keep up with the Kardashians. Well, that's kind of old now. We don't do that anymore. I don't know. We've got to keep up with somebody, you know. And what about Snooky and all that? Well, forgot to forget about them. I don't even remember them anymore, right? But it, you see how fleeting it is. But in this age of social media, you know, some of the goals that, especially some of our young people have it be to be famous. I want to be famous. Why? To be famous. It's kind of like when you go to a bodybuilding competition and you see those guys, you know, and you say, wow, that's cool. That's neat. Look at that. Look at that. What, what's that for? So I can do that. But I mean, what do you use it for? This? But what's the point? What's the point? Right? And you're going like, but what? What? You know, you're destroying your life with steroids for that? I don't know. And we live in such a cancel culture. You know, you don't know how famous you're going to be one day and cancel the next, right? Listen to what Jesus said. This is something that I, I don't know if I've ever really thought a lot about this before we started this series. But in Luke 6, 26, Jesus said, how terrible when everyone says only good things about you. Because their ancestors said the same things about the false prophets. If everybody just speaks good of you, Jesus says, that's terrible. That helped me a lot. Because, you know, there's some people that don't like me. I don't understand why, because I'm super likable. You know, uh, you don't Google yourself if you, you know, you get, if you're a pastor of a church. Because, you know, I Googled myself when, when I first, this church was starting to really grow and, it, it, it said, what about Pastor Mark Shook? And one of the first comments was, he's the evil twin of Joel Blostein's cousin in the woodlands. I went, okay, I'm not gonna Google myself anymore, I don't think. But then I realized, hey, Jesus said, everybody's not gonna speak good of you, right? And that's okay. If everybody only says good things about you, you might be a false prophet. Listen to what Paul said. In Galatians 1.10, he says, do you think I'm now trying to make people accept me? No. God is the only one I'm trying to please. Am I trying to please people? If I still wanted to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, I want you to see these misconceptions. None of them are bad. I mean, you look at the Bible and it says that Sarah, Rebecca in the Bible, they were drop dead gorgeous they were beautiful and Solomon and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob they were wealthy beyond imagination David Jesus 
famous. No one has been more famous than Jesus. None of that is wrong, but if we make those things our final objective, it's an error. In fact, it's selfish. And look what James says in James 3.16. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. So a lot of people have said, well, ambition's a bad thing. No, he said selfish ambition. Ambition's not a bad thing. Ambition's neutral. But if it's selfish, it leads to a lot of difficult things. So real success, what is it? I think it just boils down to something really simple. Fulfilling the purpose for which God created me. Listen to this verse. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians 2.10. What the Bible teaches us is that before you were ever born, God prepared a path for you. He prepared some amazing things for you to do that only you can do. And that's what he's looking for. That's what he calls true success. It's not somebody else's path. It's your path. Now, the, the more we stay on the path, the more functional we are. And none of us are completely functional, right? If you were 100% functional, well, you would have lied if I told you to raise your hand, so you wouldn't be, right? So here's the thing, we're not. But the more we deviate from that path that God has for us, the less functional we are. And our goal is to be on mission with him and to grow more and more into all that he intended us to be, which is gonna be functional, I think it's also interesting because in that little verse, he said, we are his workmanship. And in the original Greek of the New Testament, you know what that means? Made by hand. God designed each of us exactly like he wants us to be. Next week, Marco's gonna talk a lot about that, about discovering who we are so we can know what the path is that God has. He's given us a lot of clues. They're inside of us. I was counseling a young lady some couple years ago and I mean she she was just beautiful but she was the product of an affair her mom and and, and a man outside of her mom's marriage and, and and she was born from that and all the things that came from that the divorce and all the other things that happened and she just couldn't get over that she kept saying I'm a mistake I'm an error in judgment I was a sin And I said, no, you're God's workmanship. See, some of you, all of your life, you've wondered, why did God let me have that dad? Narcissistic and, you know, or or that mom or those parents or, you know, why did he give me that family of origin? Why? Because he wanted you. He wanted you so badly, he even let those two super dysfunctional people get together He needed 23 chromosomes from that man and 23 chromosomes from that one to make you uniquely you. And he wanted you to exist. He wanted you. He could see you. Maybe you just need to stop and thank him. Thank him for that. I know some of you, I mean, even had abusive parents. 
Some of you think, well, I was an accident. There are no accidental babies with God. Did you know that? They're accidental parents, but not accidental babies, okay? And, and that you were specially handcrafted by him. He wanted you. So how do I discover and stay on the path of real success? By, by allowing God to transform my character into that of his son, Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. In this series, we're gonna discover exactly how it's done, and it's gonna help us know how to achieve true success. I wanna use the rest of the time today to just talk a, a little bit about the ingredients necessary for true success. And I want to look at someone's life in the Bible and you say, oh, Jesus. No, you know, Jesus, he was the God man, right? He lived a perfect life. I don't think you're going to get there. But there is a man in the New Testament who showed us what real success looks like. His name was Paul. And I want you to see the ingredients in Paul's life just briefly that led to true success. The first thing was he had direction. He had direction. Real success begins with clearly knowing where you're going. No one's ever achieved real success by chance. I was reading about Sir Edmund Hillary. You know who he is? He's the first man to ever climb Mount Everest. Long time ago, didn't have all the oxygen and stuff that people have today when they're, you know, those tanks of oxygen to get up there. And he had tried a couple of times and some of his team had died. He didn't make it and he'd just go back and prepare again, try again. But if I had been back in that time and I'd say, Sir Edmund, how did you climb Everest? I mean, how'd you get to the peak of Everest like that? And he, and he said, well, Mark, you know, it was so weird because I left out of my house. I was just gonna go get ice cream down the street and I took a wrong turn and it was just like weird and I ended up on the peak, highest peak of Everest. And you say, well, Mark, that's ridiculous. Yeah, but it's not any more ridiculous than someone thinking they're gonna find true success without knowing how to get there, without knowing where they're going, just kind of meandering through life. We have to have direction. Listen to what Paul says. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard. Paul was a pioneer. He, he, he didn't wanna go to a church that was already there. He didn't wanna pull Christians from other places. He wanted to go where Jesus' name had never been heard. And the direction was clear and that gave him focus. I remember when Laura and I came back from Mexico where we were missionaries for so long, Mexico City and then Cancun. I know everyone says Cancun, suffering for Jesus, right? But we came back to Houston and we had a dream on our heart and that was to be missionaries to Houston and to reach people that other churches weren't reaching. And we started Community of Faith. So we had this crazy idea to give more to missions percentage-wise than anybody else, not just to beat them, but just because that's what we felt like God was leading us to do. And then also to reach unchurched people. That's kind of a weird goal, you know, because 
unchurched people coming in don't necessarily know how to give that much, right? But I just felt like that's what, it was like an impossible thing, but God loves to do impossible things. And it was so amazing in those early days to watch God work. I was thinking of Jesus on almost the very last day, it was his last week of his life, he was going from Jericho to Jerusalem and he was never gonna go back to Jericho. There was a blind man on the side of the road and he, he heard that Jesus was passing by and he just started screaming and everyone said, shut up, you stupid old man. He doesn't have time for you. But that guy, he, he didn't know if Jesus would ever be back again, but he had him right there and he wouldn't stop screaming. Finally, Jesus just stopped and said, call him to me. And he said to the blind man, as he came up, he said, what would you have me do for you? And you kind of think, well, he wants to see probably, you know. And, but that, and that is, he knew exactly what he wanted Jesus to do. He said, I want to be able to see you. And Jesus healed him. Well, if Jesus asked you that, if Jesus was right here and he said, what would you have me do for you? And you went, uh, world peace? Well, it's not a beauty contest, Right? You're not trying to be Miss America. What is it you really want Jesus to do for you? If you have to stop and think about that, you probably don't know what your definition of true success really is. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, whether we're at home or away from home, it's our constant ambition. There's that word again. I have an ambition to be pleasing to him. But you got to be careful because if you pick your direction poorly, your life will be a failure in what really matters. Another thing, another ingredient is understanding. Listen to what Jesus says. Your ears are open, but you don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. The people are stupid. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look, so they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. See, I'm afraid we've been exposed to the ideas of the world for so long that it's almost like our eyes are closed to what real success really is. Our, our ears, we've got our fingers in our ears. It, it's difficult for us to even understand that what we're pursuing is not true success. When I said it's not about money, some of you are like, well, I'll try money, you know. Give me some money, I'll, I'll go for that first. But then, like I said, when tragedy comes into our life, what do we do? What happened? God, how could you allow this to come into my life? And God's going like, you kind of worked yourself into a corner there, didn't you? No, it was all your fault. Remember, I told you this morning, don't put your fingers in your ears. Listen to what he has because he's got a plan. When the tragedy strikes, you're gonna have the vision to get through it. And Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. You're gonna have tribulation. You're gonna have trial. This is a tough, broken place. It's not what God intended for it to be. Listen to what Paul's prayer was. This is my prayer for you. Ephesians 1, 18. I ask Ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent 
and discerning and knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. Do you want endless energy and boundless strength? We need to pray for understanding. Maybe, like me, you know people who should have 20 years of experience, but they only have one year of experience because they've repeated the same mistakes for 20 years every year, right? God says, I want you to grow. I want you to find understanding. I want you to learn and grow and understand. We need understanding. Another crucial ingredient is faith. Do we need faith to be successful? The Bible says, yeah, that's clear. It's what generates the confidence to move forward in the midst of all of those trials and troubles and tribulations. We're going to face a mountain of obstacles in this life. We just are. And the Bible promised us that we would. You know, some people think you come into a relationship with Jesus and, oh, then everything just gets smooth. I got to come to Jesus because my life is such a mess. Well, it might get to be more of a mess. The difference is you have someone walking with you. And he's going to give you the vision of what it means to get through that. I mean, Paul was a man who lived with vision and strength. He was always full of hope. But he was probably one of the most hated and despised men who ever lived. I mean, people did not like him. And some people still don't like him. I don't like what he teaches about sex or what he teaches about marriage or what he teaches about life. I don't like Paul. Jesus is cool. Paul's not, you know. Listen to what Paul says. How did, what was his secret in moving forward with confidence? What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Impossible things. Have you heard the story of George Danzig? He was a statistician at the University of California at Berkeley. And he was a student in, the, in statistics. And one day he was late to class and there was no one in class. He thought they must have dismissed early. But he saw two problems on the board and he said, well, at least there's the homework. And so he wrote those down and he went home and started trying to work on them. And he got really caught up in it. He, for three weeks, he just working on those. He didn't even go to class because they were just, they were pretty difficult. I mean, they're pretty complex. And finally, he, he found the answers to both of them and he went, to his professor and he said I'm sorry I haven't been to class I got really caught up in the in the homework from three weeks ago and I finally got it figured out and, and I just wanted you to take a look at it see if I got it right and the professor looked at it and his eyes got huge he said George that wasn't the homework that was two impossible things problems and statistics that we know will never be solved and you just solved them how did you do that? And he goes, I thought it was the homework. He said, if I'd known it was impossible, I wouldn't even have tried, you know? Here's the thing. There's gonna be all kinds of impossible things that God asks you to do. I remember when we came out here and started Community of Faith and we were in Goodson Middle School and then the, the school said, hey, you've only got so long to be here. You need to get out. And so we're looking around trying to figure out how to get out. And God just worked miracle after miracle we got this land out here. I, I remember a, a, another pastor 
just not long ago said to me, he goes, when y'all moved out where you did, when you did, I was just thinking, there's only like cows out there. You know, it's Hockley, Texas. And I thought, this guy's either a genius or an idiot. And I said, well, what do you think it is? He goes, oh, the jury's still out on that, you know, which I don't disagree with. But God just did all of these miracles so that we could be here today. And we saw him. We got to have a front row seat. It wasn't Mark and Laura. It was God. And everybody knew it because they knew we couldn't do it. Jesus looked at them intently, Matthew 19, 26. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. What you're going to find is when you find what real success is, God's going to do some impossible things to get you there. He designed you to be there. He prepared beforehand what you're to do. And he's going to do it through you. The fourth ingredient is commitment. Seems like today in America, we kind of have an allergy to commitment. Afraid of choosing a path and staying on it. What is commitment? This is really important. Maybe one of the most important things I'm saying today A commitment is a pre-made decision that you're going to do something no matter what comes, no matter the circumstances. I mean, we make them all the time. Like, for example, in marriage, if you got married in a church, you make vows to each other, right? Did you say some vows? I vow to love you, to respect you, to be to you a true and faithful husband in sickness And in health, well, I didn't know COVID was coming, you know. In good times, in bad times, in times of plenty, in times of want, it doesn't matter what comes, I will be here unless we get tired of each other or until someone better comes along. No, that's not what we say. You know, a lot of us treat life kind of like a a buffet, afraid to commit. Do you ever go to a big buffet and you look, you know, I'd like to commit to that salad, but I'm thinking there might be something better coming down here, you know, and, and I definitely don't want to miss the meat. I don't want to miss the dessert. I don't, and, and we go, did you hear about the guy who starved to death at the great buffet and everyone was so sad he just couldn't commit? No, that's never happened, but we, we, we were afraid to commit. Doing anything worthwhile is going to require commitments because there's going to be huge obstacles for all of us. Listen to Paul's last word to the pastors at Ephesus. He's passing through after his last missionary journey and he's actually, he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, but what's going to happen is he's going to go to Jerusalem, be arrested, sent to Rome. Nero's going to behead him. It's the end. And and, and listen to to what he says. I, I just... This always means a lot to me. In Acts 20, 18 through 27, just listen. He says this. Guys, we'll have many memories of our time together in Ephesus. But of all the memories, most of all, I want you to remember my way of life. From the first day I arrived in Asia, I served the Lord with humility and tears, patiently enduring the many trials, there they are, that came my way through the plots of my Jewish opponents. I did everything I could to help you. I held nothing back. I taught you publicly. I taught you in your homes. I told everyone the same message, Jews and Greeks alike, that we must turn toward God and have faith in our Lord Jesus, the anointed. Now I feel that the Holy Spirit has taken me captive. I'm being led to Jerusalem 
My future is uncertain, but I know because the Holy Spirit has told me that everywhere I go from now on, I will find imprisonment and persecution waiting for me. That's okay. That's no great tragedy for me because I don't cling to my life for my own sake. The only value I place on my life is that I may finish my race, that I may fulfill the ministry that Jesus our King has given me, that I may gladly tell the good news of God's grace. I now realize that this is our last goodbye. You've been like family in all my travels to proclaim the kingdom of God. But after today, none of you will see my face again. So I want to make this clear. I'm not responsible for your destiny from this point on because I've not held back from telling you the purpose of God in all its dimensions. Success is going to take perseverance, but Paul had a clear vision. Another ingredient, service. That's one of the saddest confusions about success, thinking that my purpose is about me. See, there's nothing that God gave you that he gave you just for your benefit. He gave it so you could serve others. You look in the Gospels, do you find even one time that Jesus used all the almighty power of deity for himself? He didn't. In fact, he rejected that. The devil said, after he had fasted for 40 days, came to him and said, turn these stones into into roadhouse yeast rolls, you know? And Jesus said, no, that's not about me. I've come to serve others. I think it's, it's so important that we do that. And then the last one, interdependence. Our mission always has to do with other people. True success can't be achieved by ourselves, not individually. Listen to how Paul explains to us who we are. First Corinthians 12, 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. See, a lot of us, we think that the goal of maturity is independence. Dependence to independence. But the ultimate goal is beyond that. It's interdependence. You know what we can do together, community of faith? And until all of us are really tied in, that's why... I want you to be in a small group. That's where you're going to get to know other people and be involved with them. It's so important. Interdependence. Mutual support. We're not going to achieve that by ourselves. That's why unity is so important. It's so important to be unified. You know, in the early days of Woodlands Church, my brother Kerry started it in 1994 while we were on the mission field. And, and there was a group of people that got really against him. And he called my mom. She's pastor's wife for many, many years. And she, he said, Mom, I'm just discouraged. There's this group of people that are against me. And, and she said to him on the phone, she said, Oh, don't worry, Kerry. They'll be dead in a year. And he went, What? And, and she said, Oh, yeah, people used to get, get against your dad all the time. We'd just pray. they just keel over. That's my mom, right? Carrie goes, well, maybe I'll pray something a little more gracious for him, you know, than that. I always wondered if my mom's fender had, you know, dents in it or something, you know, because. But she was right about one thing. She was right that unity is that important to God, that we're unified together. See, if all of us are part of a body, we need each other. But we've got to be humble to do that. And speaking of humble, it's baptism time. Remember I told you last week that 
if God had asked you to do something really hard, like climb Mount Everest to know him, you would have done it. But all he said was, I want you to dip underwater and show the world that you're mine. Now, some of you, you're baptized as babies. You already got it. Got it done. But, well, it's time to bring that full circle. It's a really cool thing because that was just like what we did today. Your parents and the church and the priests saying, hey, we dedicate this baby to God. But you didn't have much decision in that, did you? Now it's time for you to make that. So we have all the stuff for you. You can go out and get in the baptismal pool. And you can begin this great journey doing all that God has for you, being obedient in everything. Would you be obedient to do that? I saw some people getting up while ago. They're going out to get baptized right now. We're going to close with a song. You're going to see baptisms on the screen. But this might be your day too. We've got everything you need out there. You can go change or you can get in in your clothes, okay? Get baptized. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in a brand new life. God, you're everything to me and I'll obey you. Let me pray with you. God, thank you that we're gonna discover together how to have true success. I can't wait for next week when you, Marco's gonna talk about how God made us, how he put us together and we can see the clues from that of what we're to do and what we're to be and how we can experiment and try things and learn and how other people can help us to know and see in us what we're to do. God, give us the courage to step full into this. Those of us who need to be baptized and you just now touched our hearts a little bit and said, that's you. So simple and yet so scary. It takes such humility to go and dip underwater in front of people, but it's such an amazing thing. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God over us and let us experience real success in Jesus' name. Amen.